Welcome to 501 Crossroads, your show all about nonprofits and the people that make the mission happen. I'm Marjorie Moore, President and CEO of Mind's Eye, and my personal mission is to make nonprofits stronger by identifying and fixing the rubs that so often come up between people and the mission. My fabulous co-host, the nonprofit ninja, Natalie Jablonski, is here. That's right. Specializing in helping nonprofits maximize their time, talent, and resources to achieve organizational greatness. Hey, Natalie. Hey, Marjorie. What do you know today? Well, I don't know if you've heard. But there was probably not because typically I'm the last one to know unless it <laughs> happened on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, any of those types, LinkedIn. I think you may have seen something on. I, I would guess every all of those except oh, for good. maybe Be- not Instagram because maybe maybe then I caught it in my social media trance. You what, what probably happened? did. So there, there's been some changes to the tax law lately. Wait, just a couple. Just maybe a, to the tax law to the tax law, like maybe like a what a five inch binder full of changes. Oh, that little thing. Just oh, a, I I was worried it was going to be something important, like they were discontinuing wine or something. No, no, no. We don't have to actually worry about. Oh, that. Whew, no, it's just okay. the tax law. <laughs> Might be a little concerning to like I don't know every nonprofit out there, but other than yeah. that, it's fine. Right? Yeah, so no big deal. So I, I'll be honest, yeah. I did see it and. I still really don't understand some of it. Like I get the basics, but my donors are asking me questions and like, eh, I don't know what to say. <laughs> well, guess what? What? I brought somebody who's going to explain it to us. Yay! <laughs> is it somebody we know and love? It is somebody we know and love. Oh, uh, I love it. I bet I know who it is. <laughs> Jen Baca from, uh, from Brown South Wallace is back to tell us all about the Tax Cuts and Job Act that was signed in December of 2017. So, Jen, welcome back. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. (laughs) I'm so glad you're here to explain all this mumbo jumbo. Right. Well, you know, it's been a big change. Like, nothing's changed this significantly for 30 years. So, hold on to your seats because here we go, (laughs) right? And this is not like the chicken little, the sky is falling, just kidding. No, the sky really fell. And we need to understand what that means, right? The the, the book fell and there's a dent in the ground. So, we got to figure out how to get get ourselves away from the dent, right? No, I said five inches thick. How how actually thick was this law? You know, in our digital age, I have not seen a printed copy of it. So I so would, not, five inches sounds fantastic. I, I would bank it's probably closer to 10, but Oof. who knows? All Depends of, your font size. All of our environmental nonprofits are applauding you right yes. now for not printing that out. Yep. We did not print it. Good, good. Well, I'm not even sure where to begin with this, Marjorie. Where do, where do, you, where do you suggest? Well, so I guess, Jen, I, let's start with unrelated business income because okay. that, it seems like something to start with. Yeah. Um, so first, give us a quick thing. Okay, what is that? Because I hear about it, and like sometimes the board gets worried that we're going to have to pay taxes on something UBI, we sell. Or right? They keep like. saying UBI, UBI. That's what that stands for. Yeah, right. absolutely. So yep. Walk yep. us through that first. What it is, and then what's changing. Okay. So we already talked about what the code was actually called, the new mm-hmm. act. So it's that they abbreviated the TCJA Act. Okay. okay. So and that's it's what the we're tax cuts job it. act. So we'll call it TCJA, or we'll call it the act, just so that there's no confusion about what we're talking about. Good idea. But really that whole act looked at things that were either no change items, significant change items or minor change items. So Mm -hmm. UBI that you're talking about right now is a significant change item for nonprofits. So UBI, Natalie's right, Unrelated business income. So unrelated I'm means... I'm right. Did you catch that? Yes. I, that. I like that. I'm yes. sure that's in the right. Yeah, Natalie was right. I mean, we're used to it, but it's nice that you well, it. it's nice to have the call out when it's correct, right? <laughs> so yes, yeah, so unrelated business income. So something that is unrelated to an organization's mission. So what your purpose is as a tax-exempt organization. So if it's not related to your mission, it's unrelated. Mm-hmm. It's a trader business that's regularly carried on. So if it's something that could be comparable to something that a for-profit company does, then you probably are running the risk that it might be UBI. 
there's some things that exclude items from being UBI, i.e. if you have volunteers carrying out the transactions 100% or you're selling donated goods, items mm -hmm. that are 100% donated, or you're selling something simply for the convenience of your members or the people that you're serving. Those are three of your typical exceptions to okay. UBI. But so otherwise, if, so if you're a nonprofit and you uh, are working on curing a, a disease, mm -hmm. and you happen to also have a thrift shop, and that thrift shop is receiving the, the income from that is going to your mission, but is 100% supported by donations, that is not considered taxable. That still follows under UBI. It would be excluded from UBI excluded. because you've got donated goods being sold. Got it. Because yep. I think that's going to impact a, a large group of our listeners. So. Yeah. Good. So you don't have to worry about that. But if you do have a UBI stream, so say you've got a, a mailing list and you decide to sell that to another organization oh. and you're getting income because you sold your mailing list, that's UBI. But say you also have another um, another venture where you've got unrelated income. Maybe this one is from investments. So say mm -hmm. your investment portfolio includes a, uh, a partnership investment, maybe a master limited partnership or something that your broker has gotten you involved mm -hmm. with. Well, that would be UBI because typically those types of investments would be UBI. Mm -hmm. Under the old law, you could take that income from one of those UBI streams and net it against a loss from the other UBI stream. Mm. So if one income had, you know, say $1,000 of income, but the loss item was 2000, you netted down to a $1,000 loss, no tax because mm -hmm. you had a loss. Under the new law, that $1,000 law or that $1,000 income item stands on its own and you'll pay tax on the $1,000 and the 2000 loss stands on its own and you we'll just carry over a loss on that $2,000 item. So now instead of being able to net them together, you have to look at them separately. You'll wow. still have your exceptions and your exemptions. So $1,000, you'd still come down to nothing. But if it was higher, you would actually have a taxable impact. So one of the biggest things that you're going to see for organizations is if they had smaller amounts of taxable income, they're probably going to have a tax hike because mm -hmm. of this. And if they had larger amounts of UBI, probably going to have a tax decrease. Yeah. And the reason for that is because now instead of UBI following uh, your general corporate tax rates, it's a flat 21% for a corporate entity. So if you remember tax rate schedules, when if you had a UBI, mm -hmm. it was kind of phased in over, mm -hmm. you know, the first 50,000 of income and then the next 25. So it was kind of a tiered approach. Mm -hmm. Well, it took a little bit before you hit something over that 15% limit. Mm -hmm. Well, now everything is a flat 21%. Oh, wow. If you're a corporate entity. Trusts have slightly different tax rates, but mm -hmm. most organizations are going to be under that corporate 21%. So two big changes there, the, yeah. the tax rate and then the fact that you can't net those activities together anymore. Okay. So would that also qualify for nonprofits who <clears throat> invest in like a large building, for example? They use a piece of it, but they rent the other pieces out to other individuals as a as a, to offset the cost of that that purchase would possibly. that also potentially apply possibly because I, yeah. I see that trend happening across the country of they get a, a large donation perhaps uh, outright or from a planned gift and the board decides to give them some security with regards to building and let's do this and then we'll have this other revenue stream potentially that in the future when the mortgage is paid off that would would help with that and i wondered if that would impact some of those nonprofits that use that investment area. Yeah, it could. So if in that case, like if it's a building that has debt on it, you might run into what's called the unrelated or the um, 
the debt financed income streams, mm -hmm. which is typically considered UBI. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of exemptions and, and uh, exceptions to that being truly taxable unrelated income though. So they would really have to look at the structure of the debt. They would look at the structure of who's using the building, how much is of the building is being used for their exempt purpose versus how much is being leased out to other mm -hmm. organizations. And if they're leasing out to other nonprofits, there's another caveat in there too. So potentially that could be a UBI stream, but there might be an exception that prevents it from being so. Okay. A lot of, a lot of crazy stuff when you get to start to look at UBI, there's things that you think might be UBI, but then once you get into the regulations, you really are actually okay. So if we have questions about that, do we ask our accountant? We ask our auditor? What do, who are we asking? You're going to want to go to your CPA. You've got okay. one on staff that okay. you're working with. Because and they're we're the, way too small for that. They, well, if, if you <laughs> don't have on one in staff, then yeah, if you've got a board member or if you have an audit firm, they okay. should be able to help you with that research as well to be able to dig down and understand if you've got an issue. Okay. Now, one, other, one of the other things we talk about a lot on this show is um, executive compensation and, mm -hmm. you know, you know, if you're running a really big organization, you know, what should you be making? I, I hear there's some changes in how that's going to be taxed. That is correct. So in the past, um, nonprofits really were just held to an issue of, do you have a good compensation policy in place? Are you making sure that you're doing your due diligence, you're taking votes and making sure that there's an independent process to approve compensation? So in the past, that was all well and good. You had um, what we used to call the rebuttable presumption that you had reasonable compensation. That still exists. But now there's a caveat that if you are compensating someone over a million dollars, so your larger organizations, if you have comp of over a million dollars, anything in excess of a million is now taxable and it's taxed at the entity level. So that nonprofit now just incurred another UBI stream because of the mm. compensation. So it's 21% again for uh, a corporate entity. There's also a, in, in with the changes for compensation, there's something called a the excess parachute rule. So a golden parachute, mm -hmm. if you probably more familiar mm -hmm. with that from a for-profit term, but the golden parachutes are, you know, when someone leaves a, a position and it's a severance, it's not a severance payment, but it's a payment due to their separation of service. Mm -hmm. So if they meet the definition of a, of a parachute payment, there's an excess amount that gets calculated. And if there is an excess, that's also subject to the taxation now. So two big hits on maybe some of your larger nonprofits if they've got, you know, nice sized compensation plans for, for their uh, employees. And are we looking at an individual who is receiving a compensation over $1 million or as a whole their compensation is $1 million? Per individual. Okay. Per individual. I, think I want to make sure we distinguish the yes. difference between yeah. the two. Marjorie, I, I know it goes without saying, but I think you and I just missed that. We did. It was a 999. It was so close. So that was that was close there. <laughs> Your organizations will thank you. The cash flows are not going to be negatively impacted <laughs> there you now. Go. Excellent. <laughs> so the one thing that I was worried about was some some things on fringe benefits and employee transportation stuff. Tell us about that. Cause yeah, that's I, one thing we try to do, I think, a lot yeah. in nonprofits because mm -hmm. some nonprofits, places. We, yeah, we can't maybe necessarily put in their paycheck, but we look at other opportunities mm -hmm. to be able to reward them and recognize them mm -hmm. and with those other extra external benefits. Sure. So and I would hate to lose the corporate chat. So well, you know, that's always a nice thing <laughs> I was to have. A corporate shoe account. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> so you can still reimburse people for their travel. So okay. that hasn't changed necessarily. But this is more, so the change with fringe benefits from a travel transportation perspective is the transportation. So if you were subsidizing parking or um, on-site athletic facilities, things of that nature, those are no longer allowed. So okay. it's, it's a limited scope. There's like three different code sections. And unfortunately, I mean, I could probably get you those code sections, mm -hmm. but nobody else wants to hear them. So. so if you're in one of those big downtown areas and you're pay, helping your employees pay for parking, maybe it's time to like ship that into regular compensation. Right. That would okay. be something that you would want to just compensate them for versus because you're not going to get a versus deduction. Reimbursing. Mm -hmm. So the same like if they had a membership to their local gym and they were able to get that reimbursed, it'd be more beneficial for them to just add the extra $20 a month to their normal compensation and say that you have access to this if you'd like to, but you don't have to type of thing? Well, if it's, so this rule actually only changes on-site athletic okay. facilities. So if it's something totally separate that's under the true other fringe benefit rules, mm -hmm. that's probably still untouched. Okay. So it's a very narrow subset of fringe benefits that got uh, adjusted here. Good. Well, I'm, I'm glad that uh, any on-site wine consumption is not being touched. So by that's us. not being touched. No, but. not at all. And my Mary Kay uh, accessibility <laughs> fund is still available. So let's talk about education. Oh, yeah. Because that could be, I know a lot of nonprofits out there try to help, help, their non, they help their employees with education. What's changing there? So if they are an education type facility, mm -hmm. there's been no change to those rules. Okay. So that's nice for them. The biggest change with education actually comes underneath an individual that's funding their kids' college tuition through a 529 plan. Okay. So in regards to 529 plans, those were the, the plans where you could contribute up to X dollars based off of your state's plan. Um, Missouri is kind of interesting because they allow you up to $16,000 on a joint return and actually take a tax credit for it. In the past, that definition of what was considered um, a qualifying educational institution was only that college-level curriculum underneath the new law. So they've uh, expanded that definition of qualified higher education expenses. Mm -hmm. And in that expansion, they now allow tuition being paid towards a K through 12 education. So your general public, if they mm -hmm. wanted to put money into a 529 plan now, they could put the money in and actually utilize the withdrawals to fund private school tuition or tuition for a K through 12 education versus being restricted only for qualified college and university education. So that's that wow. big change. So this is really good for people who want to send their kids to a parochial school or a charter school or Absolutely. something like that. The yeah. only cap is it's $10,000 per child per year. Okay. So, so a cheap one of those. A cheap version. <laughs> yeah. Less expensive. Yes. The nice thing is, I mean, it's a great tax planning opportunity mm -hmm. for individuals because if you know your children are already enrolled in a school, mm -hmm. set up a plan, put your funding in there, and mm -hmm. then you know you can just start withdrawing from that for the purpose of doing those tuition payments. Wow. So now the big one. I, I know. Dun, dun. So, you know, we're worried We've about what's going to happen, happen to us as nonprofits. But I think most of us as nonprofits are worried what's going to happen to individuals as this changes because mm -hmm. so many things have changed, changed just to our donors. Right. And how their taxes are going to work. So, Let's let's start digging into that. <laughs> so absolutely. So the big thing that everyone was talking about and everyone was worried about was what's going on with deductions, mm -hmm. right? Yep. Itemized deductions or standard deductions. So the majority of people that uh, were on the brink of itemizing or not itemizing over the last couple of years are probably no longer going to itemize. Mm -hmm. And the biggest change on that is because in this new act, 
the standard deduction is increased quite a bit. So if you're an individual filer, you can now take a standard deduction of $12,000. If you're a married filing joint person, a married filing joint return, it's $24,000. If you're a head of household, it's $18,000. So there's a lot of people that maybe have their home paid off. They are not working any longer, so they don't have any state income taxes being withheld or you know, a lot of other taxable income sources. So they may not have those main two tax deductions coming into play anymore from an itemizing purpose. So they're going to find a bigger benefit with the standard deduction. If they're under the standard deduction, that means there's no real tax benefit to them for charitable giving. So that's where a lot of mm-hmm. the scrutiny is coming into play because folks are worried, nonprofit organizations are worried that if people no longer feel the enticement from the tax deduction, will they still continue to give? In my opinion, it's going to be yes, because you've got people that have always been in that situation where they've never itemized or they're in a phase in their life where a standard has always been better for them but they still give something. They're not going to be your gigantic donors. They're the ones that give $100 here, $50 there, maybe $250 for this or you know, $500 for that. Not significant in size. Those people are still going to give because they still feel some tie to whatever organizations that they're supporting. On the flip side of that, if you were an individual that was itemizing and you now are capped out at $10,000, for your state or local income taxes, property taxes, mm-hmm. real estate taxes, and you still have a home, you're still able to deduct your mortgage interest. The old rules on that were if your mortgage was under a million dollars, you were okay. Mm-hmm. The new law says after December, I think it's December 15th, it's capped out at $750,000. So don't go out and buy a new house, ladies. Okay. That's over seven hundred fifty thousand dollars, and you'll be all right. With that fancy salary we just right, got yeah. right. To, we <laughs> that were nine, 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 nine. That's right. Exactly. So keep the houses. Keep the houses under, too. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So if you are, you know, an individual taxpayer and you are now capped out at ten thousand dollars of state tax deduction, in order to still itemize, your interest expense and your charitable giving would have to be over fourteen thousand dollars. So most folks, even with a moderate-sized you know, uh, mortgage on their home, are probably in the neighborhood of anywhere from eight to twelve, fourteen, sixteen thousand dollars $16,000 maybe a year on interest expense. They're still going to itemize, and they're still going to get a benefit then from their charitable donations. Okay. And the big kicker right now is they have eliminated the itemized deduction limitations. So that's another benefit. Tell me more about that. So when you, if your income was too high in the past, your AGI ended up too high, Mm -hmm. your itemized deductions would get limited. And so you wouldn't necessarily get everything that was on that Schedule A itemized deduction worksheet. You might have had, it was called the 3% P's Mm -hmm. adjustment. That's gone for 2018. So now if you see 10,000 on state taxes and you see 12,000 on your, um, mortgage interest line and you see 8,000 on charity, you Whatever those add up to, that $30,000 is truly going to go now on your return as an itemized deduction of $30,000 with no P's limitations being applied anymore. So that's a good thing. Yeah. So there's still a lot of folks. I mean, there's folks out there talking, you know, maybe 80 to 90% of people aren't going to itemize anymore. Mm -hmm. I don't. I don't feel comfortable with that number. Not that I have a better number in mind. I just don't think there's as many people that are going to be as negatively impacted by that as maybe we think or are hearing. Well, and I think what we're forgetting through all of this as well is that people give with their heart. Absolutely. And they 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 remember their pocketbook, right? Mm-hmm. Or their checkbook or their taxes, but they give with their heart. And mm-hmm. if you have done a great job as an organization 
building that rapport and that relationship and that connection with your donor database, then this will definitely be something that they think about, but it's not something that's going to lead their decision, Correct. in my opinion. Yeah. It may have some challenges for some of those um, larger gifts where before it was like, oh, well, I know it's a taxable, you know, I know it's right. a tax deduction. They may, it may slow that process down. They have more conversations with their personal CPAs before they move forward. It may change when those gifts come in because they might be looking at, well, when is the right time to make that gift? But I still think that we're going to see the support of the community. Absolutely. I don't know what the number looks like, like you. I right. don't have the data, but just based on my experience, uh, that's that's what I'm that's what I look at. Right. And I know a lot of states provide tax credits for certain gifts and things like that. This doesn't change any of that, correct? Not necessarily. This doesn't maybe. directly change any of those, mm -hmm. but some of the states are talking about, you know, cutting certain programming mm -hmm. or cutting certain credits. And I know even like the state of Missouri has made some adjustments adjustments to some of their credit programs. So those would be on a state by state basis okay. and that will depend. So it's not going to be impacted directly here. Okay. But one of the other good things to think about, which Natalie just alluded to, is now changing those conversations with your donors, right? Mm -hmm. So no longer, you know, in the past it used to be, oh, well, this would be a great tax deduction for you and, and you could write it off. Let's get this done now before the end of the year. Now you're really going to spin those conversations and truly drive those benefits of we're doing something that you're passionate about. You're seeing the impact that we're having on the community. You know that we've had this much of a, a great turnaround in this particular problem that we're serving. And doesn't that make you feel good? And so you're really going to spin those conversations of giving back to the whole reason that they give rather than the tax deduction that they might or might not get, right? right? Yeah. So it's just a change in those communications. And again, it's getting also to the personal side of why people give. You want to know your donors and you're going to talk to that donor differently than you talk to another donor. And I know that the uh, individual tax rates have changed, so maybe people feel like they have more money with their due paychecks. They maybe. might. <laughs> they might. And, you know, if you're somebody that's still going to, to be able to benefit from itemizing your deductions and you mm -hmm. give nicely with charity, another perk is, you know, if you're giving cash to a 50% charity, which would be considered a public charity, mm -hmm. um, now you can deduct up to 60% of your AGI instead of just 50%. And AGI is adjusted gross income, it right? It is. To make sure everybody knows what our AGI is. Yes. Natalie's got another abbreviation right down path. There's a gold star. I <laughs> Absolutely. Let the show notes reflect. <laughs> Can we talk about appreciated assets sure. for a moment? Because I, one of the things these conversations have sparked uh, with my uh, circles has been appreciated assets and the ability for people, especially if you have uh, an IRA, for example, you're 70 and a half years old, you mm -hmm. have to take that, um, that, that uh, automatic income, right? That's yep, going to come in required now. required minimum distribution. Right. And how you could actually redirect that as opposed to having to take that and then get taxed on it. You could redirect that payment directly to the charity of your choice and then forego having to have that taxable income, right? That is correct. Um, and so for those who uh, don't understand stuff like that very well, what is what is uh, an, an IRA? What, what does that look like? Sure. So your IRA is your individual retirement account. So we're all full of acronyms today, aren't mm -hmm. we? So your individual <laughs> retirement true. account. Yeah. So depending on how you funded that IRA, it could have been that as an employee, you funded a 401k while you were working. And then when you left service with that company, you rolled it to an IRA. Or it could be that you were self-employed over your entire career and you started your own um, self-employed individual retirement account and you funded that. 
Either way, IRAs, once you hit 70 and a half years old, you're required to start taking distributions from that account. If you're an individual that decides they really don't need that money from the account that they're required to take out, you can elect, as Natalie said, to have that RMD, that required minimum distribution, directly directed to a nonprofit organization. So it doesn't hit your income. You don't claim a deduction, but you didn't have the income recognized either. So it's a nice way to transfer that required distribution to a charitable beneficiary that can actually utilize it for greater good. And can it only be redirected to a charity or can it be redirected to, for example, if I wanted to give it to a child or an aunt or a spouse or something? No, it can only go to another uh, charitable organization. Correct. So this is a huge opportunity for people who perhaps are not looking at what they could be doing with this and Mm -hmm. and they're dreading having to take that that income now and and add that to their bottom line. Right. And it's going to be a great um, estate planning tool for a lot of folks. So now, so one of the other things that did change Mm -hmm. is our estate tax limitations. So in the past, it was really, really low. And then most recently, it went to 5 million and now it's at 10 million. So the idea of getting money out of someone's estate may not be as pertinent anymore. Mm -hmm. But the idea that you have this IRA and you know you really don't need it adding to the estate, mm-hmm. it might be a nice option to be able to designate those charitable beneficiaries to take those RMDs as you're going. And I'm you- not going to claim to be an expert on estate planning by any means. <laughs> <No. though. laughs> that is not my forte. So, so someone who says, wow, this is interesting. I'm going to be hitting that this year or this is something that I know I'm going to have other people that are be involved is that something they should be talking to their financial planner or their CPA or their neighbor's dog? Who should they be talking to about this? <laughs> I don't know. Unless the dog is really well-versed, I don't know if they'd be and very that's helpful. That's true. That's but true. For certain, they want to talk to their CPA or their tax advisor okay. to make sure you know that they have everything under control. And then primarily, it's going to be their broker, their investment advisor that handles the paperwork to make sure those designations go where they're supposed to. And I would suggest even as going as, as bold as to suggest that you talk to them early, sooner rather than yes. later, mm-hmm. because if they don't understand your intentions because it's something they know you have to have. It may be a conversation that you had years ago that, well, when that happens, just automatically we'll do it and we'll do it on this day. You may not remember that conversation Mm -hmm. as clearly. So you'll want to get in there before that distribution happens. You can't put the genie back in the bottle once the genies come back out, right? That's very true. Very true. So 70 and a half, it's the magic, magic number time period. I've got a couple years. What about you? (laughs) I can't even. So, um, so there's a couple other changes, like in the corporate tax tax rate and yes. a couple other things. How how's that going to affect us? Yeah. So the corporate tax rate, we kind of talked about that a little bit with UBI. So mm-hmm. corporate rates are now a flat twenty one percent. So that's where that comes into play for nonprofits because mm-hmm. of the whole UBI issue. Okay. Trust rates are the same. They had some alternative um, schedules get put together. So I think they've got four rates now instead of you know the old rates that they used to have. So okay. they're not going to be taxed as heavily if they were higher corporate income uh, levels, but okay. UBI is still just a big deal for, for nonprofits. Excellent. Anything else we need to know about all this? biggest thing that's going to be out there is mm-hmm. just communication, mm-hmm. you know, making sure that like we were talking about having those conversations with your donors, really making sure that you're on a personal level with them. Maybe that's a way that you're redirecting how you talk to those donor bases. You want to continue cultivating those relationships so that you have that giving from the heart rather than giving from the back of their mind mm-hmm. where they're thinking about their 1040 and how that's going to impact their tax schedules. Yeah. And I know that there were even some questions out there about some changes for private universities and tax exempt bonds. 
where yep. where should we go for for information about that if the, if we, that affects our organization? Sure. So yeah, there are that would be one of those minor impact idea mm-hmm. areas that we were talking about. So if you're a private university that has X dollars of investments and mm-hmm. X number of students, a new exercise tax applies for those organizations. Mm-hmm. Um, there's you know some other things out there that are specific to tax exempt bonds. What's you know, considered deductible interest now and what's not. So again, you're going to want to just talk to those, your tax advisors. If you are in one of those circumstances where you're either a private university or you have tax, tax exempt bond financing. And even better. What's that? I know that Jen and several of her colleagues are going to be putting on a training very soon here in the St. Louis region Jen, tell us about that, how we Absolutely. can get registered, it go see this. It costs $1 million to attend. <laughs> it doesn't. Oh, good. It's even better than and that. And there's no UBI tax on it either, <laughs> so it's bonus. And if you're a CPA, you get one free credit hour of CPE. Mm, wow. So it's perfect. It is a win-win-win. <laughs> it is. It is. So now when's that going to be? So we are hosting two. This is our nonprofit speaker series that mm-hmm. we try to do three times per year. Uh, the first session is going to be February 21st in our Creve Corps location, which is actually at the Jewish Community Center in St. Louis. And then our second follow-on session will be the week after on February 28th, and it will be in our St. Charles site, which is the Spencer Road Library branch. Okay. And those are both in Missouri. So for our, our listeners across uh, the country, we love you and appreciate you, and I wish you could get here, but come on in and visit us, and then look <laughs> us up in uh, 501 Crossroads, and we'll exactly. catch up with you, right? Have some coffee. Or wine. <laughs> or wine. <laughs> or wine. <laughs> hey, before we go, just because tis the season of taxes, right? Uh, I've had some questions about, hey, we have to get tax receipts out to all of our donors. And what's the what's the basic minimum we have to make sure we do? Can we can we have a quick chat about that? Sure, absolutely. I think it'd be valuable for some mm-hmm. of uh, our, our nonprofit. So the minimum requirement that we need to do in order to meet requirements for our donors, because I'm sure they're all balking right now. It's getting close to the end of the month. Right? It is. It is. <laughs> yeah. So a donor has to have a letter if it's a donation of $250 or more. Does that include in kind? It does include in kind. Okay. Well, let me caveat that. Kind of maybe. <laughs> they have to have a letter for their in kind, but your letter should never include a dollar amount oh, if they gave in kind. Say it again, Jen. If you get in kind donations, you should never put a dollar amount never, on that ever, letter. Ever, ever, <laughs> ever, ever. What if it's a car that you sell? Then you have different reporting. That's You've totally got a 1098C <laughs> that you should be totally issuing. Different. So there's total differences there. Yeah. But for my auction items that I'm collecting, thank you no for value. your basket no of wine, which yes. was delicious and absorbed before the event. I mean, what? <laughs> what? No. Oh, wait a minute. <laughs> well, now let's talk about that. No. Yeah, obviously, yeah. there's exceptions to the rule. Mm-hmm. I've had people ask me a lot about artwork or things that were valued over $5,000 because there's tax mm-hmm. forms. That's that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about your everyday, I've donated something to the auction. Mm-hmm. Right. I've donated something, uh, some office supplies. And oh, by the way, I paid $70 for these office supplies. I'm always like, thank you. Keep that receipt yes. and staple your receipt that you have to our thank mm-hmm. you letter because that is going to be your proof if you ever get audited mm-hmm. as to how you claim that value. That is absolutely 100% correct. Oh, three times in a show. Times. Triple gold star. telling you. <laughs> uh, now, the other question I get often on, on this is, well, throughout the year, Natalie, we send a letter. So if I get a $150 donation from Marjorie, mm-hmm. we send her a letter that says, thank you for your donation of $150. No goods or services we received. 
please retain this for your tax letter. Perfect. Do I then now in January have to collect all those donations and send her a receipt for the year? Or is that something that would just be a matter of convenience that you would want to do if you wanted to do that, but it's not required? Correct. Okay. So as long as you've acknowledged the gifts during the year, there's no obligation for you to send a summary letter at the end of the year as long as you've met those other requirements. So and is there a due date we have to have all this done by? Most folks recommend following that January 31st mm -hmm. timeline just because it falls in line with W-2 reporting and 1099 reporting, right. so it's a convenience. Regardless, a donor is supposed to have that letter before they file their tax return. Okay. So it has to be, you know, the, the main phrase is that it has to be contemporaneously documented. Mm -hmm. So it's hard to be contemporaneously documenting if you don't give them to them until November of the following year. A, mm -hmm. it's not contemporaneous, <laughs> and B, they probably already filed the tax return, otherwise it's late. Cool. Yeah, right. that, Double that issues brings there. brings up one question because there we have a couple donors that give so many gifts that they're like, please don't give me 100 thank you livers throughout the year. Give me one. So that one that I'm recognizing from... January 2nd of the year before, you know, I'm getting that letter and it's in that pile that we're sending out the next end of January. Is that cool? I mean, it's that in is a database. Cool. Yeah, yeah. Okay. that is perfectly fine because it's for the tax year. The so you're year. sending it within a contemporaneous period after the end of their tax year. Cool. So it's perfect. And they'd probably rather have that. Perfect. And, Look at and, that. And actually, you know what? Their CPA would rather have one letter versus oh, oh, 20 letters to try to reconcile to that summary letter, too. When, you, when you've got that donor that has his, his you know, donation coming out of his check checking account once a month. Yeah, Which is know, great. We love month. those. <laughs> yeah. So and the big key, too, happy. on that is no goods or services were received. Or Absolutely. goods and re services were received in the approximate value of. Correct. Mm -hmm. And that's your fair market value. That's got to be in there mm -hmm. somewhere yes. because it's got to be defined, right? And Correct. That, that's especially important. Not when someone writes you a check outright, because odds are there's probably net goods and services received. But if they're attending your event and mm -hmm. they drank their wine and they had their dinner and they participated in the event, there were things that are taxable that have to be taken out of that prior to. Mm -hmm. uh, I've had a, a client before who was doing a golf event and they charged a certain amount. And when they were do, finally did the receipts the right way, we got them back on track. They realized they were giving away more oh. than they were bringing in. <laughs> oh, no. You know? But they were making it through sponsorships, which is how mm -hmm. they kept making all these, the the actual profit of the event. Right. But the letter now said, basically, none of these, none of your donation mm -hmm. was, oh, it did not go over well, obviously, with their <laughs> with their group. And they had to really reevaluate the whole event. And sure. their committee was just crushed. But they were giving away a lot of freebies and right. it was a fun event don't get me wrong yeah. <laughs> um, but that's really important I think and if you have questions about tax letters or how to put those together again going to a, a great CPA can put you right on track and absolutely make sure it keeps you out of uh, a as I say, the, the orange jumpsuit, right? Right. Yes. We don't <laughs> want to be on the wrong side of the IRS or the state agencies. So. Exactly. So if uh, if they're writing feverishly, uh, as I suspect they are, all of our fabulous audience, and saying, I really need to find a resource, someone who knows what they're talking about. And that Jen, she sounds classy and sassy. How do they get a hold of you? Well, they are welcome to find me on our website, okay. which would be bswllc.com, or they can reach out to me on LinkedIn through Jen, J-E-N, Vaca, V as in Victor, A-C-H-A, or via email at jvaca at bswllc.com. Great. And we'll make sure that Marjorie gets all that in the show notes for those of you who are rewinding your podcast quickly uh, to catch all that. Um, but we love having you in the show. You I are you coming. are fancy and sassy <laughs> and all that's great. But really, you make it less intimidating. when it, mm -hmm. You hear taxes, it's like the 
movie in Lion King. It's like Mufasa. Oh, oh no. like you just shut her taxes. <laughs> I don't want to talk about no, that. No, I don't want to talk no. about it. But we have to. And we have to not only for ourselves, but for our donors. And yeah. uh, you make the conversation so easy. Thank you so much. You're yeah, welcome. Thank you Thanks so for having me. And thank you to all of you for joining us on 501 Crossroads. 501 Crossroads is recorded at the studios of Mind's Eye Radio and is produced and hosted by me, Marjorie Moore. And me, Natalie Jablonski. Mike Curtis is our sound engineer. Please go to iTunes or Stitcher or your favorite app and subscribe and leave us some feedback so others can find us. You can find us on Facebook at 501 Crossroads. Thank you for listening. And remember, we're all working towards the same outcomes.